All right. Well, hey, Gunner. Hey, everybody. Um, just here, Man on the Street interview here in Westford, and I was able to get Dan Walsh uh, to come visit with us and give us a preview for what he's doing at the summit. So, hey, Dan, how are you? Thanks for joining. Great, Dave. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So what's going on? You're, I hear that the summit's coming up and, and uh, you got selected to present. Yeah. Surprise. Yeah, funny thing. Funny yeah. thing. Uh, yeah, actually, this will be my uh, 12th summit. So this is, I've been at a mall all the way back to the first one back in New Orleans when I think there was about 500 people at it. And we were a lot smaller company at that time. Wow. Um, so uh, I'm looking, looking forward to heading out to uh, San Francisco uh, for the week and uh, um, been you and I were just looking at my agenda, and I'm surprised at how many things that I'm assigned to do. So literally, uh, like yeah. you, you, you got assigned talks that you didn't even know uh, you were yeah, talking about. I didn't about, even so. know I was talking about them. So um, you're gonna I, save. I, them I guess a, I got some work. Save them as a surprise. Yeah, well, that's why they have a six-hour flight. Out yeah, there, so you, you could write it work, at the, write at the it same on the time. plane. Yeah, but, yeah. So it should, should be uh, it should be interesting um, um, going out to to do it, and uh, you're gonna be there yourself. Yeah, yeah. yeah I'll be. Uh, uh, doing the government lunch and uh, we have a government breakout and everything so the the theme for this year is the power of participation uh, for the summit oh great yeah yeah so it's it's we're going to talk at the government lunch about how we got a lot of our customers that instead of just consuming open source software uh, actually playing an active role in the open source community uh, and and uh, participating as uh, part of a larger community so it's, it's going to be fun yeah that's, that's great I mean obviously I've been doing I've been working with government people for uh, many many years and obviously with the NSA and the SE Linux work and yep. uh, I was actually on the phone with uh, the top developer at the NSA or top SE Linux developer uh, Stephen Smalley and we're working on we're working very hard to get uh, OpenAFS and SE Linux to work well together, and yeah. we're working on patches, um, but that's all for the container effort uh, as well. So we continue to work with the, the government um, on things like that, and I see more and more participation coming out of the government, which is really, really awesome. great. Yeah. yeah, so NSA is going to be yeah. one of the people on the panel that's going to do the uh, lightning talk, uh, Jeff Blank, uh, oh, so great. that'll be fun. Yeah, um, yeah. so what, what, all, what all do you have teed up? you got a lot. Yeah, um, I have actually. We'll just as I said, we were just looking, and there's there's, there's five different things. So I'll, I'll go through them quick, and then we can go a little deeper into one of them. Um, so I'm giving a talk on SE Linux, basically, uh, uh, so sort of an update on um, a talk I've given in the past, but uh, really it's called are you, "Are you listening?" What SE Linux is trying to tell you. Um, I'm also giving the container security talk, sort of an update on, I've given this talk at previous summits, but it's an update on all the new features that we've gotten into containers to really uh, get better separation. Yep. Uh, then we're giving, uh, we're actually going to go in and give a two-hour lab um, on a practical guide to container security. So we're oh. going to go in and talk about security and actually have people play. I think this, uh, last time we did this, is about 150 uh, computers set up so people come in play around with uh, security, show them how to set up things, and show them what happens if they do something to break out of a container, What you know, where the security comes in. Yep. Uh, we're also gonna be showing some scanning, so looking oh. for deep dive, deep introspection of, of containers to really uh, uh, you know, see if you have CVEs or yep. you have bad misconfigurations, uh, looking a little bit of licensing, things like that. So that that's a two hour session, so that should be uh, really good. Uh, and then we have a birds of a feather also on containers. Obviously, yeah. that's that's sort of my main goal. But the the talk I'm really looking most forward to do is uh, we, 
it's called Docker versus System D. Yeah. Uh, can we just get along going back? Sounds to, like, sounds like a fight. Yeah. Uh, Is Leonard coming in, and, yeah, and it's yeah. going to be? Uh, uh, well, Leonard will be there, but I don't think yeah. we'll be fighting. I really what the. This this talk is is really about getting uh, uh, containers and originally it was Docker, but basically getting the container infrastructure tied more into the operating system yes. infrastructure. So uh, if you look at the way you know like Docker and things like that developed was uh, more uh, away from the operating system, right? They they wanted to build a lot of the tools um, to be um, uh, under their control, and, right? And but there's a lot of features that something like System D brings to um, the system that I really wanted to get integrated. Um, so it, just because it's already there, and why reinvent it at the container layer and just take advantage of stuff that's right. already done? Yeah. So I mean, for example, uh, you know, one one of the things we want to get is basically have containers start up in, in a, a logical boot order. Oh, um, right. That's System yeah, D right there, right. where you can you can set dependencies. Correct. So so if you had We've really been looking over the last couple of years at containers as you know, replacing system services, so that um, we, you know, and if you had, so you want to have a system service that started at a certain time in the boot, and, and in certain situations we need Docker actually needs uh, container services to be up and running. For instance, that uh, well a Kubernetes environment where you might have Docker and Kubernetes up, and in order to have it work properly, you have to have etcd up and running, and you have to have a networking layer like Flannel or. or something like OpenShift SDN has to be up and running. So what we want to do is be able to ship those things in containers, but we don't necessarily have, to, we don't necessarily want them to come directly out of Docker. So we want them to be running. Um, so we really need to plug them into System D, and then System D will ensure that you know etcd and flannelD are up and running before Kubernetes and, right. and Docker come up. Um, and then we want to we want to take advantage of this technology so that other people that need definite ordering of the way their services come up. Um, so, um, so in doing that, you know, obviously you can just put those in unit files. But more advanced topics are around things like socket activation. So, how do you, how do I get socket activation of my containers to run? Um, and so we worked on patches for those. Another another common thing that uh, System D brings, uh, well, socket activation basically means that you can have you can tell System D that uh, this service is going to listen at a particular TCP. IP socket, uh, you know, a port, or it could listen at a Unix domain socket, um, and then that service doesn't start until it's actually needed. Oh, right, right. So it's sort of started on demand. Um, so, uh, so system D's had that all the way, all the way through right. L7. Right. But we need that for uh, again containers because we want to run the services yeah. inside of containers. We had that, didn't we? Have that in OpenShift too, where where open like old versions of the OpenShift two would. It would mothball itself after a while, and then you tickle a port, and then it would right. it would un unpack and reinflate right. so, the container. So, OpenShift version two had had that type of feature where basically they had the website. So when you came in with a certain packet format, a website would actually launch the application, and then you want the application to go away. So if you have an application that's not going to be running, you know, it All needs the to time, run up, right. come up once in a while, and you get socket activation. Gear idling is what right. they called it. Yeah, right. and uh, so System D has those features in it. Uh, but Docker de doesn't, or Docker didn't have it. So we really worked heavily to get those features into Docker. And I'll talk about in my talk about the different interactions between Docker and System D, and mm -hmm. the problems I had, and the way we were ended up solving them or, or not solving them, as the as the case may be. Another interesting thing uh, that System D provides is a thing called um, 
uh, notify, which basically, if you think about starting a system service on a machine, um, you, you might have two services, say an Apache website that wants to uh, to come up as soon as the database is fully up and running. Right, but not before. Not before, right. So it doesn't start sending packets to a database that's just initializing. Right. So what SystemD invented is the, the thing called SD Notifier. Um, and, and what SD Notify does is a, an application that's running inside of a SystemD unifile, uh, when it's fully up and ready to accept communications, will send this signal to SystemD saying, I'm up and running, or it, it actually talks to a, a socket that SystemD puts into its uh, process space. Um, so it notifies SystemD that it's up and running, at which point SystemD then can start up any services that were waiting for that service to be fully up and running. Um, so that's called SD Notify, and again, we wanted to get that into containers to get figure out how we can get containers to follow that model. Um, and you know, again, with some in some cases we got it to work. Other cases, uh, because of the the way Docker was designed, it was more difficult. Um, those are a couple of things that the that I'll be going into and explaining how this all works and, and that we can do it with Run C. Uh, we can do a lot of this stuff with Run C. We've had a lot more luck getting into the uh, Run C, which is the open container initiative format um, tool. Uh, other things, the, the, the real difficult one with getting into uh, uh, Docker was to get systemd to run inside of the container though. Mm. Um, right, 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 right. So there's a, there's a uh, a big argument that goes on between uh, different um, people who are working on containers, uh, right. usually Docker and others, about what should be PID1 inside of a container. So someone like Leonard Pottering, who's the, the father of SystemD, would argue that <clears throat> you have to have a, a real PID1 or a, 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 uh, a process that knows how to interact, to, knows how to work as the primary process on the system, on the head system. Um, and he, he would argue that things like um, the ability to, uh, uh, he says that when other people run applications as PID1, um, they don't provide the APIs that the application, that other app or sub processes would expect. Yes. Uh, the, the main one we see problems with people just running random uh, applications as PID1 is, is usually um, taking care of zombie processes. So if a process dies, so one of your children, grandchildren die, um, and I'm uh, basically um, scooped up by the zombie process. They, they right. just sit out there running forever. Yeah. yeah. Um, Where system D would clean right. System D would see see processes that weren't reparented, weren't collected by their parents, and would would destroy those. Yeah. Um, and so that <clears throat> so that that's the argument for running an, a full init system like system D inside of a container as PID one. Um, the other argument against it is that these things work. I mean, people have done thousands right. and thousands of containers with Apache or Bash or, right. or whatever right. is PID1. Um, so both arguments make sense. My problem was that we could never get systemd inside of the container inside of a non-privileged container. Yes. So, oh, I get it. Yeah. yeah. So when you run systemd inside of a container, it expects to be able to mount certain things. Right. Or expects things to be mounted for it before it runs. And trying to get Docker to accept patches that allowed us to run systemd as, as a non-privileged container. And when I say privileged, I mean when you run a container as privileged, that means you turn off all the security. Right. So you it's know bad. I'm dead right. set against that. Yeah. Right? Yeah. 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 So. 
we, we've gone through many, many patches, and I'll cover all that and explain what we did. And, and as of uh, the next release of, of uh, Docker and tools uh, for RHEL 7, we will be able to run system D as PID1 inside of a container. Yeah. And, and another great thing about run, being able to run system D as PID1 would be uh, you can actually take advantage of uh, all the unit files that are already designed for applications. So a lot of people, when they build Docker containers or containers in general, they're, they're building these fancy bash scripts and, right. you know, uh, to run them. Uh, but system D, if you use just standard RHEL or standard operating systems, they come with unit files that define how to run Apache or how to run MySQL. Right. So if you're running system D, you can just use the unit file to launch your application. The other thing you can do with uh, system D as PID1 is you can run multiple services inside of a container. Right, right. That's um, not something we usually recommend right. customers doing, but a lot of customers, the first step to getting stuff containerized is usually to run uh, sort of like a, a monolith, and, yeah. and I would argue for your, I think it's uh, that would help people migrate uh, and accelerate container adoption if they could containerize existing workloads, and and down the road they could decompose them into separate containers. But yeah. but let's do a first step. I I, to, I totally agree with that. I mean I think that's um, I, I I like the idea of moving people slowly into the you know, if you come to a, customer and say, okay, you have to redesign, you know, you have this application that has 10 different services and you have to totally redesign it before you can ever use containers. The adoption's going to be Yeah, the going to be poor. Um, la lastly, the, the real nice thing about running System D is PID1 inside a container is all the journaling stuff actually works. And we, mm. the way we have it working now, you can actually get your log files, your journal files outside of the container so you can run commands on the host to actually show everything that's going inside of the container. Uh, in normal people running containers, they're usually getting standard out and standard error, but if anybody writes to devlog or if they write to the journal directly, all those messages are lost. Mm -hmm. So running system D sort of closes that gap so that your logging uh, fully comes outside of the container and you can have to, you know, all the standard tools on the host to be able to look at the containers. Yeah. Um, so that, you know, that, that's the general guide of the talk, and I'll be covering, you know, showing how to do these things. I'll be demonstrating it um, and really covering all the work that, you know, we've been working on it for the last couple of years to yeah. get uh, containers in. With, with the addition of System D, would that, how would that impact uh, container image size and uh, performance? Is it negligible, or, or yeah, how I do mean, you see that playing out? Yeah, well... I don't think it's measurable. The amount of, I mean, obviously, System D is going to take up a little more memory space. Like a System D for every container. Right. So, right. I mean, but in our, in our containers with System D, you end up running System D and Journal D, which have been optimized, I mean, have been shrunken as much as, as, as possible. Yeah. And they're really not doing a heck of a lot while your application's right. running. So, they're not using CPU or anything like that. Right. So, you, you're going to lose a little bit of memory um, space um, on it. Um, but I think the benefits of, of getting logging and things like that um, right. uh, outweigh that um, and multiple services, things like that. Um, the size of the container is not going to really change much because we usually ship System D uh, as part of the system, container system image, in the base, yeah. Yeah. Uh, And actually, uh, in a lot of cases, the si uh, the, you know, we've been working very hard to get the, the size shrunk yeah. um, of the base, base image. But, but sometimes shrinking... The, the, a lot of people want to get these base images down to a real minimal size. Yeah. 
the problem with that is you start to get worse and worse at sharing co code. So, so if you have a base size that's a reasonable size, then more of your containers can share it. If you so say you got down to the point where the only thing inside of your container is Bash, then every single container is going to bring their their own subsection and. Right. And you'll end up with less sharing of, of the base image between yes. or less sharing of size. So sometimes I think people are a little too fanatical about uh, yeah. shrinking. It's almost like they're taking this, uh, like, um, remember back in the day when people would have, they would brag about the, how small they could make their Linux in, uh, installation. Right, and, right. and as a measure of quality, which... Who cares? Right. I mean, if you have the disk space. And, yeah, I, I actually tend to look at it more as, as my CVE. What's what's potentially vulnerable inside of the image? Because that that to me is more interesting than once you once you pulled the base image down one time, mm -hmm. it's not like you're, you're you're pulling this down all the time. So the size of the image is is, is not uh, as critical. Right. Um, but um, having hundreds of applications running inside the, the of a container, you know, obviously, and suddenly your CPE, and it's more likely that we're going to have to update the image becomes a problem. But um, so yeah, I, I think having a reasonable size base image, um, but upstream we're doing a lot of work to figure out, you know, there, were, there were a lot of assumptions when we started uh, that we've fallen into over the last 20 years of developing operating systems. Uh, one of the biggest ones is, is size of, uh, of languages. So yes. when you run containers, you know, when you run a you sort of your Linux system, you might have, uh, Two or three hundred megabytes of languages installed, just in case you're gonna, you know, oh, switch right. your computer into Swahili mode or something. Oh, 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 okay. oh! You mean like, like? Yeah, I'm not talking computer languages. Like, I'm talking, we're, we're talking Go and all the. Okay, no, no, right, no. Right. I'm talking about translations, yeah. and, and um, so a lot of bad habits sort of developed in, in operating systems, and just because of the size. You know, why, why worry about? If I have a terabyte of, of disk space, why am I worried about 100 megabytes of, right. of languages? Um, but obviously, as we move to containers and cloud, that, that size starts to matter more. So there's been a lot of, of redesign, rethinking about the way we're packaging. Yep. Um, one of the things I, I'm, uh, I'm rambling a little bit here, but another, you know, go, going into putting on my security hat, um, one of the things we will be talking about in uh, container security um, is another problem with the way we developed the operating system over the last 20 years and that the way packaging systems are working is they all assume that you package as root or you install as root mm -hmm. and uh, because of that it sort of limits our ability to run or to allow people to build containers that aren't root. Right. So, we, so really what we want to do is look at we look at the operating system in the future, and this is, these are issues that are going to Fedora, and maybe they'll be in RHEL 8, or, um, the next version of RHEL, uh, would be, can we repack, or can we rethink the way we package software? Right. So uh, a classic example is Apache. Apache, uh, the Apache server comes and expects to be installed as root, and then the first thing it does is it becomes non-root. Right. And um, as opposed to, could, why can't I, in my home directory, just install it's the Apache, Apache package and, yeah. and just run it as my UID yeah. and, and yeah, instantaneously yeah. have. So, so we want to we want to make that type of install capable uh, possible. And, and in some ways, we'll get better. You know, uh, OpenShift v2 had that ability, had this ability to, for people to install in sort of their home directories or inside of their accounts. Uh, and we 
want to move move containers towards that type of model. Yeah. Um, so, a lot of my time is thinking about how can we re how can we rethink the way we yes. you know, distribute applications and distribute these software. Okay. Well, I know, and as we close out, one of the things I know those are the things you're thinking about. The thing that everybody's thinking about for the summit is coloring books. <laughs> and they want to know, okay, what when uh, you know, you're, what's what's new with the coloring books that we got for for uh, for this summit? Right. So the, the the pressure was building on me this year. How are you going to talk it? Yeah. yeah. I, I, the last couple of years, uh, um, I've tried to make my mother proud by publishing. And so two years ago, we published the SC Linux coloring book, which was a huge success. And last year, we published the container coloring book. Um, and uh, I could, you know, people want me to have another coloring book this year. And, and you got to like invent new technologies yeah. to Plus, have a new coloring I, I book to changed, talk about. I haven't yeah. changed my role yeah. uh, in the last couple of years. So I'm sort of still on containers. So what we're actually going to be doing is we're coming out with the uh, uh, revised edition of the coloring book, so coloring book version two, yeah. and we're going to go a little bit more into moving up the stack into orchestration and, and uh, looking at that, so add, adding some additional features. But for those people that haven't gotten the coloring books, we will have them, uh, I'm sure, in, in large Everywhere. supply. Everywhere. will be flowing at, yeah. at your set. Come to the sessions, you'll Comes have them. Yeah. Come to the but booth. Still yeah. not guaranteeing any crayons, so this would be a bring-your-own-crayon event. So. Yeah. I only have so much budget, and they, they don't they don't budget my crayon. Uh, so, You'll anyways, yeah, rely so, on the community. Yeah. So sad to say, there's not a, uh, a, a. Although I've heard that other organizations at, at Red Hat are beginning to look into providing their own coloring books as a. Uh -huh. uh, but I'm not sure if anybody will be at the summit this year. But hopefully, hopefully there'll be plenty of coloring books for everybody. All right. Well, so uh, for everybody to get a list of all the sessions you have and the stuff we talked about, what, what site should we send them to? Well, it's always dgshow.org. Yeah, it's your homepage, right? Yeah. <laughs> on, on your <laughs> That's right. It's, oh, yeah. yeah. First site I go to every day. You know? Yeah. We all uh, do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. But uh, I'm looking forward to seeing everybody. If you're at the summit, come up and say hi, and especially tell me if you're Heard, heard me on the podcast. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. All right, Dan. Well, hey, well, thanks for joining, and thanks, everybody, for listening.